Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen. We are thrilled to join you on 610 AM ESPN Radio, ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, it's a crazy time of year. It is. And by the way, they played the wrong song. They should have been playing Hail to the Victor. Yeah, we'll get to your Michigan love fest later. <laughs> Don't worry. We'll talk Torny. I'll let you get it out. Yeah. But we have a really good guest in studio first, and so I'm not going to let you go Michigan first. I'm all sorry. Right, You're going to have to hold right. off. Uh, we have who I've joked with um, every time I hear him talk in studio with us, uh, Flyers public address announcer Lou Nolan, uh, who has a, a book out with Sam Carcitti, another favorite guest of ours, If These Walls Could Talk, talking about his 50 years with the Flyers organization. Or as I said, every time I hear him talk, it reminds me of being at the Spectrum with my dad back in the 80s watching the games. What is it like, Lou, to hear people uh, introduce you that way? Well, uh, it's an honor to be here with you guys, first of all, and thank you for having me on the show. Uh, for for it's situations like this, it's great. You know, uh, as I told you earlier when we were just chatting before we went on, uh, sometimes they get embarrassed when people do things, uh, even now. But uh, I roll with the punches, and I'm kind of used to it. You know, signing books is one of the things. So you're getting you're getting used to the the platform now because I mean you're you're the man behind the mic and it was so funny the first time I met you I was like you know you're not like I pictured you but I never really pictured you I always just heard your voice <laughs> yeah I, I didn't know what to expect and we met you out at an event and it was like oh wow that's the voice I've heard for all those years announcing the penalties and the power plays and the, do how often do people ask you to like record something for them just so they can have your voice uh. More often than uh, now than they used to. I do uh, things on phones and just uh, things for uh, uh, different shows, things of that nature, promos. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I'll, again, you know, it's nice. They want me to do it. Why not? So, Jason, when I heard, first heard your voice, I used to think that you were like 6'6". Six, six. See, now, okay, <laughs> Lou, you've stepped into an uh, ongoing hype battle that Jeff and I have. I am not what you would call tall. <laughs> I have accepted that fate in life. Jeff, on the other hand, I believe, uh, had his foot stepped on by a short person when he was younger, and he has never gotten over it. <laughs> no, I, I had my foot stepped on by a guy that was 6'9". <laughs> <laughs> and, and therefore always makes things back to height. Uh -huh. But, I mean, you see it all different guys of height players come through the years. You, you've seen the big Broad Street bully years. You've seen the, the quicker, faster teams that they're going to now. What's it been like to watch hockey for 50 years in this city? Well, um, you know, sitting down where I was, uh, where I sit now in the penalty box, uh, I worked with that glass for a long time, and uh, it was more fun. You you couldn't balance your checkbook. Uh, you had better watch or else you're going to get dinged, <laughs> and I did a few times. But uh, it, 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 it's fun. And uh, the early years, uh, you know, I kind of rolled with the punches because – I was right place, right time. Year before the first cup, uh, the previous announcer went to be the PR man of the Blazers. Remember the Philadelphia Blazers? Yeah. Lasted a year, and they moved to Vancouver. Didn't need a PR man in Vancouver <laughs> from Philly. So he was out, but I was already in behind him. And uh, You couldn't fake the Canadian accent, huh? No, couldn't do it. Couldn't work hard. <laughs> there you go. That. You got it. You've been around Outstanding. Yeah, I have. Been through Ch channeling your inner Bobby yeah. Clark right there. You got just, it. Just say no worries and A a lot. There you go. Yeah. That's so, it. So you mentioned that you, that you sit in the penalty box or between the two penalty boxes, right? I'm at the red line. So so the the one of the interesting um, anecdotes in your book is about when you first got situated there. Can you tell us about that? 
I think you're probably talking about the first game that I that I did. Yeah, there. He, he is because uh-huh. I found and, that story uh, hilarious. Also, yeah, you may uh, not have at the time. What, <laughs> well, you know, uh, one of the early announcements um, was uh, was about a fight and um, two guys, and the fights those days were a lot more intense than the fights nowadays. Um, they happen. They're separated. They sit down now, and it's not so bad. Back in the days. The early years of me being there, they were much more intense, and players were genuinely more mad for a longer period of time. Uh, and um, um, I forget exactly who it was, but somebody from Minnesota, I think, picked up the puck bucket full of ice and pucks and, and tossed it, not the bucket, but the contents of the bucket <laughs> to the other side of the, the other penalty box, and one of our guys was there, and I happened to be in the middle and uh, I intercepted the uh, ice and pucks uh, halfway across on the right side of my body. So I said, what am I doing here, you know? What did I get myself into? And, um, but then again, you know, the, uh, a group of writers came up after and said, we'd like to talk to you about that. So I said, huh, you mean you want to interview me about getting hit with ice and pucks? You, you sure? became the story yourself. You sure they weren't insurance agents that wanted to make sure? <laughs> lawyers. didn't have a claim. Probably lawyers. <laughs> so we were reading. It It looks like you found out about the Flyers by a billboard. I did. I uh, used to go down to Margate uh, in the summers and chase women like most of my friends did. We'd have a house with a bunch of guys, and, you know, we'd go out, go dancing, all that stuff, and drinking down to Margate over the weekends. And I'm driving down there one day, and there's a billboard that says the Flyers are coming, and the logo is on there. Hmm. Wonder what they are. And I looked into it, and here they're a hockey team. And I had a little bit of a background in hockey um, because of a classmate in grade school whose uncle was a gold judge for the Ramblers. We used to go up and run around the rink on Friday nights and get the broken sticks and tape them up, to, you know, and come back, put our skates on, and on the uh, street behind the school and play. So, uh, and, and I took the trolley from. Uh, from Southwest Philly, where I lived downtown, the 13th of Market, to uh, to buy hockey books. The only place you could get them. So, uh, and I followed it on TV. Original Six was on at that point. So, I had a little bit of an idea what it was. I knew what icing was. So, that took me ahead of time. You were three steps ahead of everybody else at that point then. Yeah, and Gene Hart changed all that, didn't he, boy? He educated everybody about everything on the radio and the TV, mostly radio in the early years. You ended up seeing a couple cup championships and parades. You just saw the Eagles parade. But your first parade in the city uh, was not quite as uh, fan-filled, as, as you like to say. Uh, I believe Joe Watson said that there were more staff at the parade than there were fans at the first uh, parade. That wasn't a Stanley Cup parade, though. No, that was your first, like, the Teams Here parade, right? Yeah, the Team Is Here parade, and they organized uh, something. I guess they met in the reception room of the mayor, probably Frank Rizzo at that point, and then took Cadillacs down to uh, the site where this arena would be. Was being built at that point, and you know, Joe said there were more people in the parade than are watching the parade. <laughs> That's one of his favorite things to talk about, you know. But the Stanley Cup parade, yow. So, what was that like? Well, it was the day after. Oh, uh, so they didn't waste any time. The excitement no, 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 no. was people were still hungover from the night before, oh, including including <laughs> yours truly. I, I did a lacrosse game that night, and then I went out. I was cu- I was asked by Fitz Dixon who owned the Wings, to do his Wings game, opening game that night. Little did I figure that we'd have a Stanley Cup. So we did. Then I did his game uh, and uh, went over to Rexy's to uh, celebrate over in South Jersey there. And uh, 
Next thing you know, I'm coming in, and there's a parade the next day, and um, the city rep says, well, you know, we're, we'll get into Cadillacs and drive up Broad Street 20, 30 miles an hour until we get to Spruce Street, <clears throat> and then at Spruce Street, it'll get crowded, and, you know, there'll be some people, and we'll go there, ticker tape and all that. Well, as soon as we left the building, it was like wall-to-wall people. You know, 20, 30 deep. It was incredible. And well, this, there were no this, barriers or anything. So people just crowded around the cars and handed us beers. And and that was that was really the first parade in the city, right? As far as I know, yeah. Yeah, yeah it was well, incredible. Before that. It was the ultimate celebration right. for a city that hadn't had it at that mm-hmm. point. Yeah, it, it needed to be done, of course. And uh, uh, everybody really uh, uh, pitched in and did their part. That's for sure. I, I hesitate to think what the cleanup must have been like after that. But uh, it was amazing, you know. Who was, who was the craziest person on that parade route? Players? Yeah. Oh, well, I guess maybe the, the best stories are Bernie going to the bathroom and stuff like that. that <laughs> stuff that, you know, I'm I sure mean, he appreciates it. All kinds of stuff, you know. Uh, <laughs> stop, stop the parade, wait for Bernie, run him in a house, <laughs> run him out of a house. Was Bernie actually knocking on doors? Well, I don't think he had to knock. I think somebody knew he was coming. <laughs> <laughs> they let him right in. Yeah, somebody uh, somebody greased the uh, uh, the way, so to speak, and let people know he was on his way in. But it was it was interesting. So Jeff reminds me regularly that I am from a, a younger generation than than he is, but I, I still have my Broad Street Bullies T-shirt. Um, and so even though I didn't get to witness as much of that as Jeff would prefer. Um, it's still the lore about it, the HBO special they ended up doing. What was it like around the team at that time? And, and can you give the, the listeners a little bit of a, a picture of, of what you saw from the, the Flyers? Well, um, it was a team that was led uh, by uh, Bob Clark and some very, very good players. Uh, everybody says, well, you know, they beat their way through the league, and that's not the case. When it had to be, there was a fight or somebody jumped off the bench and started a brawl. But there were really good players there. Bill Barber, who uh, ran second fiddle to Clark the whole time and, and was a great, great player now in the Hall of Fame. Uh, never got his real just due because uh, Bob was always always there and always in front of him, so to speak, as the captain. But, uh, you know, talk about Reg Leach, uh, you know, guys coming in and contributing, uh, great defensemen. Uh, I mean, we, we just had everything. And then you throw the goalies, Bernie. I mean, Bernie just uh, – uh, Played all the time and uh, played well, you know. Um, so after the bullies, you were telling us a little bit about the Russians uh, when when they were in here, and um, you know everybody's seen the lore, but you were telling us you you took them for some food <laughs> before the game. <laughs> yeah, I took a group of people to uh, Pat Steaks, <laughs> told them to say one wit, <laughs> put them in line. Did you they, know, they did had they their own know? money. They had money. So they, they knew that they wanted a cheesesteak. Yeah, they knew they somehow. Uh, you know, as we were talking earlier, Jeff mentioned, you know, there was no web. Uh, how would these guys know? I have no idea how they knew, but they knew. They knew they wanted a cheesesteak. Yeah. They also knew that uh, it was going to be a, a difficult uh, uh, game to play. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was that kind of thing. It was. Uh, were they overconfident? Uh, no, but they the different style. They thought their style was superior. I mean, mm-hmm. for years they've been telling them their style superior. You know, if it doesn't go in, you start out over again, and to go back and try it again and go back. And the Flyers kind of let them do all that. You know, let them play around with it and all that kind of stuff. But uh, in the end, um, playing in the NHL and playing NHL style with a very rough uh, uh, 
rough going along the wings and so forth, uh, they weren't really ready for it. Uh, they screamed a lot at the ref. Lloyd Gilmore was the ref, and um, he uh, he just kind of let it go. Well, basically. did he understand Russian? He might not have <laughs> no, he didn't. But one of the linesmen about. did. I won't tell you what they what the what the guy called him, but he gave Russian a misconduct. <laughs> and the guy came over, and then he, he when the guy was yelling at him he, in Russian, he spoke back to him in Russian. And the guy like eyes went, oh boy, <laughs> what did, what did you just say? Yeah, it, he, it's it's amazing how important that game seems for an exhibition game. What leading up to it, did you notice what was there an intensity within the Flyers organization to win that game? Not only the Flyers organization, but uh, the entire NHL. Um, they had come in and brought two teams over: uh, Red Army team, which was the superior team, and then one called the Wings of Soviet, and uh, that was just as good, but didn't quite have the stars. But they were good players. You know that that system starts, you know, with. 200,000 kids playing to 100,000 to 2,500 to 200 to 100 and split them up between two teams. I mean, they're in the Army. Mm -hmm. That's what they do for a living. Um, and all the time, if you saw the, uh, you know, some of the uh, films that were made about Russians, uh, Russian systems, very difficult. Yeah, difficult. They're, gr they're groomed to play a sport. That's it. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, all the time that they were winning the Olympics, they were really pros. And, uh, you know, before the NHL guys came in. But the whole league needed uh, a pick-me-up. I did the game the night before the league called me, and I ran up to uh, Nassau County Coliseum to do the Islanders against the Wings of the Soviet. And um, the Wings won the game one to nothing when Chico Resch broke his goalie stick off at the paddle trying to clear a puck. And Yakushev, one of their best player, maybe their best player, just took the puck and boom, empty net. They won one to nothing. So the Islanders gave them a good run. Mm -hmm. They were, I would guess, uh, Stanley Cup champs. That, that would have been their first cup maybe. Uh, I don't know, 76. I'm not sure off the top. Ours was four and five. Uh, might have been the Canadians. But the Islanders were good. You know, Mike Bossy Mike and Trottier yeah. and those kind of guys. So um, they were good. And uh, uh, when, when they came here, you know, they, we needed to win to show we were superior. And uh, the guys provided it with the help of Fred Shiro, of course, who understood uh, their game and uh, kept our guys uh, sharp enough and, and not thinking about it, actually going out and playing the regular style um, uh, to, uh, to really take those guys down. Who and, of course, the, Joe scored the big goal, Joe Watson. What was the tension like on the ice during that game? Well, there was more tension between the officials – and the Russian bench coaches, et cetera, than there were between the players. When they tried to leave. I mean Well even even at the beginning of the game, you know, just, just seeing what call is taken and then you know, when when Eddie Van Ip lowered the boom on Karmaloff there right in front of the net, I guess it was, or maybe a little bit out from around the circle, he went down and, you know, he stayed down and they get all upset and uh, you know they go over there and they're they're standing at their bench and the referee comes over to talk to the interpreter who's sitting with me. Guy with the name of, ready for this one, Aggie Kuklowitz. He was with Air Canada. Great guy. Spoke Russian. What was his nickname? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good question. And um, so uh, Gilmore's talking to him and um, trying to figure out what they're going to do. And we agree that, you know, all they're trying to do is basically intimidate you into, you know, making a call their way. And he said, yeah, I know. He said, let's give him a delay of the game penalty. So... I make the announcement, you know, two minutes for delay of the game. And that's when they, they got incensed and they just said, 
that's it. Then, then they all leave. So now they're gone. And we're saying, what happens next? You know. <laughs> uh, and um, Aggie jumped over and went over and talked to Victor. Victor was their guy on the bench that spoke English, could communicate with the referees, and uh, then gone. No more game. So Ed Snyder came down the hallway, kind of kicked the door into their dressing room, which smelled above high heaven. If you've ever had a hockey equipment with kids, yes, you know, uh -huh. bad, right? You got to hang it. Imagine outside. twenty yeah. of them in right. a room that never clean it right, which oh. was what the Russian situation was. It was mm -hmm. very bad. They had to have the money. You know, they needed this money to make their program go. And um, well, wait before you get to kicking the door in, you're you're sitting there announcing the game, right? Yeah. So the fans are are just sitting around. Are you saying anything, or are you just waiting for Ed to come out and tell you what? No, I, we didn't wait for really for Ed. You know, Ed was in his going and coming around. Mm -hmm. um, I just got over there, and Aggie went over. I went over because I had nothing more to do to say. What right. was I going to say? Uh -huh. You know, I mean, we gave him the penalty. They left. Um, I mean, what do you say? We'll be back in a minute. You know, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what you say. We can't Ma find them. Maybe. <laughs> All I know is I wound up over there somehow, and then next thing you know, uh, here comes Ed, and right into the room, and uh, he comes out, and he says. They'll be out in five minutes to play. So I said, I better go back over. You know, I'm back over. And by that time, the fans, they didn't know what was going on. But they knew our guys were still hanging out. And uh, I guess maybe went back to the room. But they wanted to wanted to do their skates, they said. They wanted to redo their skates. <laughs> oh, well, that's yeah. important. So, yeah, it would be. And um, <laughs> all those rubber mats didn't work for their skates. But uh, it, it, the tension was NHL to – Soviets, more than it was Flyers to Soviets. Although it was there, but it was more NHL to Soviets uh, because they didn't trust the referees to give them an even shake. Did you ever hear what Ed said to them to get them to come out again? Just that they weren't going to get paid, and the, they didn't have it. They weren't paid so far for the right. exhibition games. This was the last one. And oh, they so they, their held, they, held, they held off payment until the series was exactly. over. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Smart. That's, that's smart my, move. Apparently. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I mean, that's you know. Otherwise, you have a building full of, you know, what was it, 17077 or something, whatever it was at that point, and uh, they wouldn't be real happy. No. You mentioned Ed Snyder, and you can't talk about the Flyers without talking about Ed Snyder, or as many call him, Mr. Snyder. Uh, take us back. You got your start when he started the team. Um, what was it like to, to be around him, and, and what did you see with him as the owner of this team? It, it was I mean, he just cared so much about bringing a, a hockey team and a winner to the city. Yes. Um, uh, Ed was a very unique guy. Uh, there'll never be another like him. Uh, he um, was a true guy that uh, uh, loved the game, uh, would do anything to win, uh, which is influenced by occasionally us bringing in play people to uh, uh, maybe push us over the top that actually didn't, mm -hmm. like Dale Howardchuk. Maybe who was in it. Adam Oates. Yeah, but I'd rather have a guy like that than a guy who's not trying. I mean, oh no, no, no! Yeah, I'm not right. criticizing no, that. I, I no, think I that's agree right. With you. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. Mm -hmm. I would no, I may criticize him. No way and yeah. ever. Yeah, he I always mean, seemed like he was willing to try and make that uh, move to get he, there. He would do anything, and you know, and um, uh, was not afraid to put everything out there. Obviously, by you know building the building, uh, and um, um, he was a group of owners at the beginning. I think Joe Scott. Uh, Scott and Grau with Ballantine Beer Distributor. Mm -hmm. uh, he, uh, Bill Putnam, who was a banker from New York, and, uh, and Ed uh, probably was the majority owner. And um, a couple of banks probably 
owned some of it at that point. But uh, Ed was always the driving force behind things. And uh, He was a hands-off owner, though, right? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Depends on who, you know, the, the, the first general manager was Bud Poyle, and he was a pretty volatile guy. I worked in the press box when Bud was there, and uh, Bud used to get, uh, you know, he'd get hot under the collar and be yelling and screaming. Uh, and Keith Allen was the coach, and then when, when, when Bud went left and Keith went to be the general manager, it was totally different. Keith would sit there and analyze things and be quiet and wouldn't say much. And, um, you know, so it was totally different. But uh, uh, he, he was pretty much hands-off. I think he needed to be convinced of certain moves that the GM might have wanted to make. And uh, like anybody else, uh, it, Ed always felt that uh, um, he wanted everybody's input in that circle of people that were around him, uh, whether it be somebody saying, yes, you're right, Ed, or no, Ed, I think you're wrong, and here's why. And if you can make a case, you'd be okay. But what was the, the, one of the things that I've noticed when, when I hear other players and people like you talking about him is, is there's an adoration of him that you don't hear from a lot of other teams. Not saying there aren't other teams, but but people seem to have to adore him and and revere him in a way that is it, you just don't Different. hear much anymore. Well, I would say this uh, as a as an answer to you that um, <clears throat> if it weren't for Ed, uh, we wouldn't be having this conversation about Flyers hockey. We wouldn't have won two Stanley Cups. We wouldn't have been in the playoffs year after year, except for little groups of years where we uh, maybe had to retool. Uh, it wouldn't have happened here. Um, not to say that somebody else might have come along and do it, uh, but he foresaw that um, opportunity and uh, fell in love with the sport and realized that, you know, it took it's a business. It is a business. So, uh, and um, that's the tough part of the game, you know, when players are traded or leave or get sent to the minors or something like this. Um, you know, it, it's a business, and he was a great businessman. I think he also recognized the impact that his business had on this community, though. And, uh, I mean, you look at it with Ed Snyder Youth Hockey. You look at it with the Flyers Wives Carnival. And, and we like to talk about that on the show. Everybody can talk about, you know, the score of the game last night. But it's the long-lasting impact of initiatives like that that really transformed communities that, that was the additional thing that Ed seemed to bring to the team. Well, Ed Snyder Youth Hockey uh, Foundation and the Snyder Hockey is his legacy. And when you think about it, you say to yourself, okay, so, you know, tell me about that. Well, there were five hockey rinks in the city, open air. Um, kids sometimes went and played there. They probably had trouble filling up their ice time. Uh, in neighborhoods, in, in urban neighborhoods, uh, Ed saw that and uh, decided to take a rink and um, use some of the people that provide services in our buildings in construction and this and that and the other and, and close it, put a computer room in, get some computers, uh, get some kids involved, uh, get some coaches, things of this nature, and to, uh, to make it happen. Uh, that was great. However, there are now five of them that are like that. There are 3,000-plus children that – would have never even played hockey, theoretically, uh, that may not have made it out of uh, high school, uh, that are uh, in the program, getting their homework done every day before they even go on the ice, have access to terminals. It's just incredible. I mean, I sat with a, um, 
a young lady at one of the early golf tournaments at the the, the Snyder Golf Tournament. I, I stay at the first hole and sort of announce uh, the, the foursomes, you know, the 10 o'clock starting time. Well, it makes me want to play golf starting. now. You can go and announce my name. There you go. I'll, I feel, I'll feel good about myself. <laughs> you should only, feel good anyway. Look, anyway only, only until I tee so, off, by so, the way. So what I'm driving at is that <laughs> there I was uh, with a few extra minutes, and there was this young lady sitting there uh, with a Snyder hockey pullover on, T-shirt, and, I, and she's sitting there, and we're talking, and I says, how are you involved with this? Because she was not small. She was sort of grown. She said, well, I was uh, involved in Snyder hockey, you know, way back when. I said, no, what do you do now? She says, well, I'm a junior at Westchester, or maybe a sophomore at Westchester. You know, I said, are you playing hockey? She says, oh, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm playing hockey there, and it's really good. Turns out she turned out to be captain of her team, won the NCAA, I think, Division Three title. Wow. Yeah. And now, you know, now she is, um, uh, she went to work with Comcast first. And then uh, I'm not sure who else, maybe Google out west. And I think she's doing now a recurring uh, role in Orange is the New Black. Wow. So she's like wow. a huge success story. Mm-hmm. I think his name is Charlene Reyes. She was, she was you know, uh, and, and great girl. She spoke at Ed's, um, Ed's memorial, gave a eulogy. And she learned uh, those lessons playing hockey at Ed Snyder. Just growing up in that program. Yeah. And, I mean, I can't tell you how great that program is and how what it means to me. It's fantastic. I'll do anything for those guys. Well, I'm glad we got to ask you about that. Where can we find you as you go on your next round of book tours? Does that happen around Father's Day? Yeah, I think that's when they're going to be, Father's Day. And we're going to um, get out there and probably be in the Barnes & Nobles and places like that. Uh, Don't get concerned if Jeff follows you around. He just kind of tends to do that sometimes. Um, he may want to well, get. I mean, your, if you're better with directions, than he's that. tough. You know, yeah. he's tough. He, is. he may yeah. want to get your signature a couple yeah. times just to make sure he has it. Um, it's really been so much fun to get to talk to you. Uh, <laughs> I know that you get embarrassed by by that, but for a young fan who's kind of living his kid dream, doing a sports radio show to to talk to the guy who always was the voice announcing the scores and and. The assists and and everything is is kind of cool for me, so I gotta let you know that, Jeff. Well, wait before he goes though. What what's it like now? I mean, we had Sam on before the season started, and wonderful guy. He he's a great guy, and he's a patient guy, and and so you know there there were people that were concerned, including me, that this year was gonna be a real struggle, um, and that maybe we should be thinking about trading some older players, and and Sam said, hang in there. He said, wait till you see these young guys come up, and they're still the Morgan Frost and the Carter Hearts and the guys behind that. Just hang in there, and you'll see as the season progresses. So he was right. And and you see, even below this group, Carter Hart just won, I think, the MVP. Uh, Best goalie in junior, right? period. And, yeah. and not a bad last name, as Lauren Hart parted, pointed out last night. <laughs> <laughs> so... So what's it like now to see it looks like the young guys are starting to come together and you might be uh, announcing some playoff games? Well, it, it, Sam was right, and I, I'm an eternal optimist. I always feel that way. And I think what you would see was that um, our coach and his teams that he had uh, in college in D1, he was here in the Frozen Four. Those teams start out so-so, and when the players get the idea of what he's trying to do, they rally and they play better. Now, when they're getting paid to do it for a living and you're trying to get 22, 24 guys all together and do the same thing at the same time, mm-hmm. it becomes difficult sometimes. You know, you got injuries, guys go down. It's not like you have another college kid and you only have him for four years. Right. You got him. 
So uh, it, it, it becomes difficult. Uh, so I think Sam was absolutely right. I think there are uh, wonderful times ahead for this team. And uh, earlier you talked speed. I mean, they're fast. They're fast. The game is so fast. They're fun to watch. Yeah. Game has changed a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, uh, people ask me if I like it or I don't. I wish the game were rougher. I wish they would allow uh, Radko Gudis to, you know, make those checks. I mean. So does he. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the one thing happened behind the net. He got suspended. And next thing you know, now he now he's changed the way he plays the game for the most part. Right. Well, that's because every time he touched somebody, they were calling him for a penalty. Yeah. 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 And it's a reputation thing. So. Yeah. Uh, I wish the game was uh, was rougher and tougher. I don't like the uh, the fact that you can't even pinch pinch in on the boards with a guy and you're getting called for interference. I hate the tickety tack penalties. You know, hit a guy in the hand, it's a hook. Come right. on, hook the guy. Hook the guy. <laughs> you know, so uh, I think that that's uh, a little exaggerated, but yeah. that's the league. One, one night we're going to have to have you uh, on the PA question the call. Like, come on, that's not a call. <laughs> that would be in the book of famous last announcements. <laughs> I was going to say. You're that, too much of a professional that, for that. That's, that's how we'll know Lou's decided Lou's, to retire. Yeah, Lou's decided one to day move he's, on. he's just going to go, oh, come on, ref. Uh, we <laughs> could not thank you enough for coming in. We could keep you here uh, all show and talk, but uh, we're going to let you out of here. Um, but we thank you so much for coming in and sharing a couple stories. Well, uh, it was my pleasure. Uh, I love doing this stuff, you know, and I, I, I appreciate you guys asking me in here. And I know we talked at the uh, Sports Raiders dinner. It was it was a cool thing for you to, you know, approach me and ask about that. And I do this anytime. You know, well, just we will definitely call you again. I'll be there. We will absolutely we'll call you again. It. We'll take you up on it. Thank Thanks. you so much for coming in. Stick with us when we come back. We're going to talk a little Sixers with Keith Pompey. Well, don't forget Michigan. Are you looking for a lifeline? Verizon New Jersey Shares Communication Lifeline is a statewide nonprofit that provides assistance to individuals and families living in New Jersey, those who are in need of temporary help in paying their communication and energy bills. Want to know how to apply? All you need to do is call Verizon New Jersey Shares at 1-888-337-3339 or visit on the web at www.newjerseyshares.org. It's quick and easy to sign up, but remember, you must be a Verizon residential landline customer to apply for eligible programs. That's Verizon New Jersey Shares, keeping the lines of communication open for you and your family. Just because you can't see lead paint doesn't mean it's not on your walls, doors, windows, or sills. Today, lead Lead paint poisoning affects over 1 million children. What's more, just three granules of lead dust from old paint can poison your child. If your house was built before 1978 and you have kids 6 years old or younger or are pregnant, it's very important to know what to do. There are simple steps you can take to make your kids lead-free kids. Log on to leadfreekids.org or call 800-424-LEAD for more information. A message from the Coalition to End Childhood Lead Poisoning, the EPA, HUD, and the Ad Council. Every day, the men and women of the United States Marine Corps demonstrate their commitment to defend the American way of life. Since 1775, we have served our nation as a force in readiness. From combat operations to humanitarian assistance in every corner of the world. No matter where the mission takes us today or wherever our country needs us tomorrow, We always remember the land we call home. As Marines, we take a stand for each other, for our nation, for us all. The few, the proud, the Marines.
Welcome no, back. No, to no, the- no, no. See, that's not hail to the victors either. Come on, guys. Look, okay. Uh, so we have Keith Pompey here in studio, uh, Sixers beat writer for the Philadelphia Inquirer. Uh, Keith, Jeff is upset because he's a Michigan alum and fan. No, and I'm 30, happy because I'm And we're 30 Michigan minutes alum. into the show, and he hasn't been able to gloat or hear Michigan music. And I'm making him hold <laughs> off till the end of the show because he's very excited that his team won last night, yeah. uh, and, and they look pretty good. And so the game didn't end at 1 o'clock in the morning. Just make him wait a little yeah. longer. Did you stay up? To watch the whole game? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. This one. Well, no. This, he didn't this, say. This, last this week, one. he didn't. And, <laughs> oh, and the really? funny thing was, at the end of the show last week, I said if they had a late game, I was going to check with his wife to see if he actually stayed up because there was no chance that that was happening. Yeah, it didn't start till like 11 o'clock. Thankfully, they had the earlier game last night. He was able to watch it and be in bed at a normal time, and he's nice and happy and smiley with us in studio today. Okay. So I was telling you, I love your work. Uh, Jeff got to hang down with you at Sixers practice. Um it's got to be fun covering this team this year. It's different. I mean, it's completely different. Um, <laughs> After the purgatory of the last couple of years. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was funny because before the game, I was talking to TJ McConnell, and we were discussing when they won 10 games a couple seasons ago. And and Ben Simmons was like, what was that like? Awful. And then I said to TJ, but, hey, I know you guys only won 10. But the first year when they won, only won 19, right. it was like a shock, you know, because they had veterans on the team. And they mm-hmm. were like, what's going on? What's going on? We're not even running plays. I'm frustrated. So, you know, so I tried to make TJ feel a little bit better. But to answer your question, it, it is completely different. And before you would go into a game and the thought was, well, how many points are they going to lose by? You know, now you're saying, okay, now we re- I'm really covering a basketball game. Now I turn on a game, they're up 15 in the, in the first quarter yeah, before yeah. I know what's going on. How, how many years have you been covering the Sixers? This is my fifth year. Okay, and before that, where, where, who were you covering? Before that, I was covering uh, Temple. I covered right. Temple's uh, basketball and football. So. So, so, so when you're covering, you, when you started covering the Sixers, they were bad. Oh, yeah. So, so. How do you get through writing a story game after game when when a team is that bad? Covering gypsies, as Brett Brown yeah, called them, I think one time. Yeah, he did. He said, <laughs> "I'm tired of covering yeah. gypsies." That's what it was like. Yeah, I think that was year two after year two, because we found out they were going to tank again the next year. Um, you know what? It got to a point where there were so many storylines. You know, because I think my first year they probably had about twenty something. Like I believe it was twenty six different guys on the roster. So we oh would go God. to practice. Yeah, like you would show up in said city, right? Introduce him. and and there was and you you're looking around like, oh, there's a new guy, <laughs> and then, so they would say, yeah, we just signed this one guy, and it used to be so funny because there was one guy, and I'm not gonna say his name, but he told me that his nickname was Hassle, and I said Hassle, and he asked why they call you Hassle. He said, cause man. On defense, I'm a hassle. I just get down. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, let's see. So his, Brett puts him in. They used to, like, soon these guys came off the street, they would play him. So Brett puts the guy in. A guy does like a whoop whoop and goes right past him and dunks the ball, right? So then Hassel is like, all right, all right. So the next possession, he comes down, he airballs a three. Brett calls timeout and takes him out. <laughs> Hassel so, never saw the court again. <laughs> so there was always storylines. So it was it was kind of like it wasn't as bad as people thought because there was always something to write about. Well, well, now you got better storylines and you got more entertaining players. Well, I mean, some better storylines. We still got other storylines we'll talk about. Yeah, yeah. But, but I will I will say they, these guys look like they're having fun together. 
like this this looks like a team this doesn't look like just an assortment of, of guys that are professionals there's more to it yeah it's, it's true i mean like a prime example yesterday you know they were interacting with the crowd or they were like a lot of times that there were more sixers fans than orlando fans so you would see them like looking up in the crowd like saying wow they're cheering for us and then you know when mb would make a dunk or something everyone would go crazy mm-hmm. you know in the past i mean you know you would go there and you see guys with towels on top of their heads and you know just like frustrated so you know yeah it's, it's completely different the mood is different better well, interviews what's it like so many games this season they go to visiting arenas and you hear trust the process chance it's crazy I mean, it's crazy. and not like a couple fans quietly doing it during a timeout, like during the game. And, oh yeah, and even more oddly, Eagles chance. Oh, oh yeah. That, yeah. Why? Why are there Eagles chance everywhere they go for basketball? Because they're Eagles fans. Eagles don't fans. you don't want to get into that? We got <laughs> Keith here to talk about six. It's the same. It's, it's the same number of letters. Just <laughs> spell out Sixers instead. Oh yeah. Well, but I think, and it was funny because yesterday, because after about now, this is like the first quarter. After the sixth Eagles chant in the first quarter, <laughs> a fan, like a fan, is getting upset. So he, he says, forget that. Roll tide, roll. <laughs> well, and they didn't have the Sixers same fans thing. don't like when the, when the Eagles chant. Like, they enjoy their the fact that the Sixers are the team now. And, you know, there is that camaraderie in the city, but uh, the, the trust the process chant they seem to enjoy much more than the, the Eagles but, chant but breaking it's, out. It's, it's, yeah, in a way. But at the same time, I think the, the Sixers, when the Sixers had, like, basically the game before the Super Bowl became a prep rally for the Eagles. So they encouraged that. And then the next game, they encouraged it. So it became a life of his own. And whenever you go to Sixers games, on the road too, there's a, a portion of Sixers fans who are wearing Eagles jerseys. And that's where the chance come from. So I think it's more like a pride thing that the Sixers helped start. You know, so, I mean, they in the closing seconds, there were trust the process, then E-A-G-L-E-S, Eagles, and then trust the process over again. So, you know what I mean? I don't think that they're as upset with it because, you know, it's, it's a part of feeling More of out. an excitement Yeah, right more now. of an excitement thing. I mean, it's funny. Like, you know, because of this team, I travel all the time. And you're always seeing people in, like, said airports, like in Orlando and Miami, uh, you know, Boston, Minnesota, wherever. There's a bunch of Eagles fans. I mean, people are having, like, their world championship things. And I just laugh because it's like they want the world to know, like, we finally won it. Oh, yeah, you Eagles fans mean? aren't yeah. shy about winning. Uh-huh. I, I, I wear my Eagles stuff all the time. I have a friend who's, uh, who's living up in Boston, like, right outside the stadium uh, near Foxborough. And he made, he's like, oh, yeah, I had, he actually called in uh, right after the Super Bowl. And he was like, I don't know if my house is even going to be there. I had an Eagles sign outside and this and that. I don't know what's going to be there when I get back. So Eagles fans take pride in it. Um, what's it been? The last week, uh, and I asked you when you came in the studio, is this team as good as it's played in the last week, blowing teams out, or is it a product of the teams they've played? Where, where are we right now with the Sixers? Well, we're going to find out a lot tomorrow. I mean, with the game at 6 o'clock. So around like 8.30, we'll have a better idea on how good the Sixers are. Um, you know, the, the thing about the 76ers, it, it, I, I, I equate them before this, I equated them to bullies. And and I know some people don't like me saying that because of what happens, but I'm talking about like the bullies where I grew up, where there was a guy who lived on your block. He was extremely tough against the little kids, 
But then whenever there was someone his age, he would run in the house. <laughs> you know what I mean? He wouldn't do anything. And I'm not saying the Sixers are running in the house, but before they just struggled. They always found ways to turn the ball over. Um, J.J. Redick and Robert Covington had poor shooting outings against quality ball clubs. And they both looked like superstars when they played the quote-unquote strubs. So right now they're going up against the Minnesota Timberwolves team tomorrow, a team that's right now seventh in the West. They're, they're trying to battle for a playoff spot. And with that being said, we're going to see how good the 76ers are. I mean, we are. I mean, these other teams were tanking. You really didn't – you can't tell how good they are when they're playing tanking opponents. So my frustration has always been this third quarter. There, mm-hmm. there seems to be something when they come out for the third quarter where they've lost the intensity and just start turning it over. Except last night. Well, against Orlando or half of an Orlando yes. team. So that's been my frustration is, is it a lack of focus or is there something else? I know Brett Brown said that it's, it's age. I'm not sure I buy that because, you know, I watch a lot of college basketball. I'm watching Michigan now. They, they turn the ball over one time. They're all the same age as the Sixers or, or younger. So so what is it? What, what do you diagnose as the real issue with the, this third quarter meltdown? I mean, I, I think it could be lack of focus. I mean, I think that they go in there and they're playing a certain way and then they have to get revved up all over again. I mean, the thing about the third quarter is it's crazy. You know, um, when you start a game, you know, they have the pre- they have like the pregame introduction. They got the guy hitting the bell, the Liberty Bell. You know what I mean? The music is hype. Well, the start of the third quarter is like, up, oh, tip the ball. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I think that the Sixers, they have to get amped up. Now, in the past, it was also a product of them not having quality talent on the floor where other teams could go through the motions in the first half and then step it up in the second in the second you know second half against them. Right now, I honestly believe that it is it does have to do with focus because they're revved up at the start of the game, and then if you notice, like in the third quarter, when the third quarter typically starts, the, the, there people are still trying to get back to their seats. So that's like the quietest time of the game at Wells Fargo, and I think that has a lot to do with it. So we got to bring out the bell. I'm saying we turn the lights. Keith, down. would you be willing to, be- to ring the bell if we brought it out <laughs> after the third quarter? How much money are you paying me? <laughs> well, Jeff will call the Sixers. He has sure. some season tickets that he that he has, so he can make that request easier than I can. I mean, you guys hang out with them more than me. I, I'm just the guy who talks about it well, on the radio. He does. I, 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 it, to me, it makes sense. It, it's, it, it, it just seems like the beginning of the third quarter, you know it's coming. You know that that first six to eight minutes, there's going to be, at some point in there, a whole bunch of sloppiness. Yeah. And, and it baffles me. And the one that baffles me the most is, is Joel. Because he goes through this. Like, I mean, when he doesn't put the ball on the floor... He's just unstoppable. There's very few people that are as tall and as strong as him, and if he just goes straight up wherever he is, he can hit it. And then he gets to the third quarter, and he wants to be a point guard, and he starts dribbling with his left hand, and the second he puts the ball on the ground, I go, here comes another turnover. And they slap at it, and they knock it away. I I mean, yes, it's fun to to watch him have a fadeaway three-pointer that they're going to compare to Steph Curry. I want to see him more on the block. Uh, I I want to see him – picking up fouls against the guys inside and, and getting the team in the penalty. I mean, he's a good foul shooter. He When he's down there, it, it's a mentality. He's just dominating when he's on like that. And sometimes I just don't understand the rotation where they have him out on the wing 
uh, trying to sort of run point, but not really run point, and it's just like a recipe for nobody else knows what to do. They all just kind of stand around and, and watch him rather than making plays. What's the solution to that? I mean, Brett obviously has his rotation. Uh, when we had John on, on the phone, uh, you know, we talked about I won't rush on Holmes in the rotation more. Uh, Jeff reminds me that every time he gets in the game, I get excited to see him because he's playing against bad teams. So, so it's not an accurate gauge of, of how well he's actually playing. But with the rotation, with, with Ben and Joel right now, how should that, that be in terms of who's running the game in the half court? Right now, I think, you know, for Ben moving forward, he has to run the game in the half court. I mean, he has to. And and I agree with you 100%. Joel has to be on the block. You know, it's, it's one of those things when I go into – when they go into a game and I see Embiid make his first three, I say to myself, uh-oh, it's yeah. going to be a hard night for him because then he stays out there. And also I think it's also a product of his not being in shape. Um I think that it's easier for him to run from the three-point line to the three-point line, and you don't have to worry about banging with anyone and this and that, and then you can shoot those threes. But at the same time, he has to know, because he says it over and over again, when I get on the block, I'm fouling people out, and I'm really aggressive. And the Sixers are at their best. But you know, It changes the game. Oh, completely. I mean, he's huge. I mean, he's huge, he's strong, and, you know, when he goes out there and he shoots those threes, now he's shooting, last time I checked, he was shooting at 30%, you know, which isn't bad, but it's not quite like, you know, someone shooting 40, 42 for you to justify them to be out there all the time. Right, but yeah. but for the fans, not somebody who's watching every play like you, for the fans, they sit there and go, they see a 7-2 guy. Yeah. Get a three-pointer, and he throws his hands up, and he's very entertaining, and, and that's what they remember, not the fact that he went one for six before that. Exactly, exactly. And, and, and so it becomes it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy that he has. Like you said, if, if there was a game I was at a couple weeks ago where he shot seven three-pointers, I think, in the first half. Seven shots and didn't make seven. And and I just said, wh where is he going with this? See, he should not be out there because it changes the whole game. When he's inside, it opens everything else up. And I don't understand why they don't say that to him. But if he's tired, I mean, he is going to play 70 or 71 games this year, mm -hmm. which I don't think anybody anticipated. I mean, I expected maybe 50 is, yeah. is what I was thinking. So he's got to be worn down. This is the most he's played in his career. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. And, and and he even says that, like, like in regards to 50, he said, hey, I thought I was going to play 45, 50 games this year. But, yeah. but, but, you know, we asked Brett Brown a couple weeks ago about – remember I, I asked him about what, what are you going to do about making sure that these guys get rest because you know you're going to the playoffs. Mm -hmm. and, and he said, no way. That, you know, we're in the playoffs and we're going to get the highest seed possible. He's got to give them a rest. He's, even if Joel doesn't like it, he's just going to say, look – you want to play in the playoffs? You want you want to do well in the playoffs? Just sit out a game. It's not going to make a difference for us. Yeah, I think that will come. I think a lot of things have to happen for that to come. And what I mean is, let's just say if they secure the number four seed, and that's I mean they know that they're going to get number four. That's going to be tough. To it's going to be yeah, yeah. It's going to be tough. So the fact that they're playing, they only what they have eleven games left. Four of them are against teams with winning records. So in a perfect world, what happened in the last two games 
is what they're, they're, they're hoping they can do, where they get out there, they play hard, the game is all but decided in the, in, in the third quarter, and then you rest Joel Embiid, you rest all your starters, and then they'll have, then they don't practice the next day. You know what I mean? But right now, you know, when Embiid is not in the game, like totally not in the game, they lose so much. Shots are harder to come by for J.J. Redick, for Robert Covington. Amir you Johnson know, tries it, hard, but it's just not the same thing. It's not the same. And, and the thing about Amir, he's more of a, like a role player setting picks. And he, you even look at Ben Simmons' productivity when when Joel's not on the floor. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, so I know where Brett is not going to come out and say it, but basically I'm going to say it for him. They need Joel Embiid in these games, at least early on, for them to go ahead and win them. I mean, and, and he won't come out and say it, but but to me, that's what it is. Ben Simmons putting up points, uh, triple doubles that you haven't seen from a rookie like this. Um, has What has surprised you about him this season? Is he what he was advertised to be, everything you thought, more or less has to work on things? Where are you? You know, I think if Ben Simmons, if is there something that Ben Simmons has to work on, or if there's two things he has to work on, I think he has to work on being a little bit more aggressive, and and that's going to come over time because that's just not his nature right now. Have you seen him more aggressive in the second half? It, it looks like after the All Star game, he he's there have been moments and flashes where he's really taken the ball to the hole and and taken over at times, not as much as you'd like to see, but. Well, not not as much as you would like, but then at the same time, you have to realize that this is a guy who this is how he played most of the time. He's always trying to get others involved. You know, he's not one of those guys where in the last two minutes I have to have the ball. And then if you look at it, you know, you, you look at Joel Embiid on his team as the alpha dog, and then you gave J.J. Redick $23 million, so you think that he needs to take some big shots. So then there's Dario. or So when you look at it, Simmons, as far as being a shooter or a scorer or whatever, he's probably the fourth best option. But in order for them to be successful, not this year, but moving forward, and he knows this, he has to become more aggressive. He has to be able, you know, he has to put work in, in the summertime, and he has to say, you know what, I'm going to take over this game. I'm going to take advantage of my height uh, advantage. Now, the second thing that I think that Ben Simmons needs to work on is, and this might sound great, I mean, say it might sound crazy because of the assist that he, he, he racks up, but I think that he needs to work more with his, his players, his teammates, and then he can become a better point guard. You know, like he racks up assists, but there are certain things that T.J. McConnell can do right now that he can't do. And I'm, that's not a knock against Ben Simmons. It's to be expected when you have a guy who was a point forward before and he was just getting out in transition and going and he wasn't really playing in a half court set to whereas he can like make sure people are on it and, and different yeah, actually running point Run, yeah running point so I, I think that will come but when you factor in the, the things that he's doing and when Brett was saying hey I'm gonna take this power forward and, and, and transition him to a point guard you have to say that he's ahead of schedule I got two Ben Simmons questions for you. Okay. First of all, if Brett Brown was not the coach and he wasn't drafted by the Sixers, would he have ended up as a point guard? Probably not. Yeah. Probably not. 
and so the second thing is with regard to his jumper, I've seen him in games. I mean, I actually jump up when he does it because he'll he can shoot a jumper. Yeah. If he elevates straight up, he can shoot. Are you but trying for to some like reason, help him out? You jump up to like no, because because <laughs> then he falls into this this thing about always doing floaters where the ball just kind of rolls off and then ends up short of the rim. Is it just a confidence thing with him? Because it looks, you know, people say he can't shoot. I think he can shoot. He can shoot. I mean, I think it is. Now, here's the thing. Like, if you go to the game or next time you come to a Sixers game, like, make sure you watch Ben work out, right? He he goes out there and he's shooting threes, and he's making them. Now, he'll he'll miss some. Like, they'll go off the side. Because, you know, his he still has to get his shooting form down. He has to protect uh, perfect that. But – for the most part, they go in. And then you ask them, like, well, Ben, like, before the game, I'm seeing you hitting these threes and you're making a lot of jumpers. And he says, I just have to get I have to get uncomfortable in the game in order for me to do it. And that's what you mean by that. He says, well, I'm so – in all my life, I've been bigger than everyone else, faster than everyone else, so I was always able to get to the rim. So I never really attempted jumpers. And he says, and then my mindset right now is that I can still do that. I'm, you know, I'm, it's proven that I can still get to the rim. And he says, and he was honest. He says, once somebody stops me, and next thing you know, I can't do it. And he wasn't being arrogant about it. He says, and then I'll just, I guess, I'll have to, I'll be forced to shoot threes. So, so he's going to need somebody like Giannis to be on him in order for him. To- well, it probably, jumpers? because you know what? Here's the thing: is also it is that I know it sounds crazy, but you know, you tend people tend to do stuff that they're comfortable with. You know, they sometimes people don't want to step out of the box, and then also, you know what? It's weird. Like like I said, his shooting is getting better, but there's also there there's some like he'll he'll make two shots. He'll attempt four. He'll make two. Another one will rim out, right? But then the fourth one. With like would be a real errant shot because it's like his follow through isn't there, you know, and and I think that sometimes when, you know, he's not thinking probably like oh I'm gonna make these I'm gonna drain these two, he's thinking like how do I not get that errant shot out off the side, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So until like you said someone like Jonas will put lock him down, then he's like, well hey. If it's errant, it's just going to be errant. <laughs> I'm, I'm just going yeah. through. I'm not going to try and finish. Wait, wait, wait. Oh, you got I, it. Because I, I, you don't believe me when I say this, so I'm going to ask a guy who actually knows. Uh-oh. Do you hear that? Yeah. Do you hear that? Fighting words. <laughs> Every show. He Ready? just told me he's Ohio State fan. Every oh, show. Well, yeah. He'll yeah, be we'll doing see if he the, gets a Michigan fight song played right now. So he keeps asking me, when are we going to see Markel Fultz? And I said, that was the question I was going to ask. And, 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 and my response to him every time is, we're not, even if he, even if he's healthy, you're not seeing him this year. Am I right? I'm Just telling me he's wrong. Than than the yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm starting to lean that way. Uh, here's the thing. You know, Markel looks good in the workouts that I go to. Mm-hmm. He looks good. And I know that he really wants to play. You know, you hear, stories of him looking good at practice um but then at the same time I just think that he could help him out a little bit in spurts but it could also backfire like if he goes out there and he doesn't look good at all um you know if he's not ready if he's tired whatever it could backfire to the point where it could hurt the kid's career 
but not I wasn't even thinking of his career because I agree with you on that. But how do you incorporate him into the offense at this point in the season? You're 70 games in. So so how how are you going to bring him in and people know where he's going to be on the court? I mean, it's insane. That's another tough one. Yeah, that's that, that and that's that's part of it. That, I mean, you know, the one thing is him moving forward and if he can help you then he can help you. But secondly, you're right. In the playoffs, you typically try to reduce your roster. I mean, you have to. And and as you said, he hasn't played what I mean, how many games have they played? They played what uh 70 they yeah. played 70 games. 71, yeah. 71. So he's missed what 60 66 games, 67 games. Right. You know, that's a long time and it's going to he's going to be rusty and then that means you have to take minutes away from JJ. I mean, excuse me. From TJ McConnell, G- TJ would smack me if I called him JJ. <laughs> but um, you know, you're gonna have to take minutes we, away. We from won't him. share the tape with him. Don't uh, worry. Please, Nobody, no. nobody's listening. Oh uh, yes, they are. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, it to me is just it, it's tough. It's really tough. Now again, he can do certain things that the Sixers that no one else on the team can do, including Ben Simmons. But it's just that when you bring a guy back in, like you said, this late in the season, you have to be a hundred percent sure because. Things can go right, go great, but a lot of things can also go wrong. Mm-hmm. Well, we will all be watching tomorrow for uh, the game that that'll be a measuring stick for this team of, of where they are right now. Now I'm going to keep you in studio. We got our last minute here, but I'm going to give Jeff a couple seconds to gloat about his Michigan Wolverines. Uh, Ryan, are you ready for Jeff to gloat over there? All right, that's enough, Ryan. That's plenty. All right, so you got your music. Look. You got a couple seconds. Uh, Not I, much. I, Say I, it I briefly. I was at the Big Ten Championship. Nobody expected this team to be in the Big Ten Championship. Nobody expected them to be in the tournament. For them to be in the Elite Eight and, and look like they have a real chance is an amazing coaching job. Yeah, that whole bracket but on that side is John, busted. But John Beeline, hit, I think you're going to see this as the future of college basketball because I think they're going to start doing the zero and two thing instead of the one and done. And I think what's going to happen is is coaches are going to have players for longer and they're going to be able to coach up. We will talk more about it on next week's show. Hopefully they're still in. Stay on with 610 for Villanova tonight at 725. Got the pre-show coming up with Ryan Lennox and the team going on. Who you got in the game? Starts at 7 o'clock. I think Villanova's going to win tonight. Um, No. So stick with us and join us next week on the Heart of Sports. Thank you, everybody. You have a great week. Bye-bye.